All right, y'all. Welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. We all have struggles. We all have a story. And the good news is we are not alone. And this week we have a special friend and guest, someone who came into my life in 2019 at a low point in my life. <laughs> and we're here, uh, been a 180 since then, and here to talk about that time and some other topics. But uh, Jana Coleman, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing better than last time we talked. Uh-huh. A lot. A lot. A lot better. And we'll, uh-huh. we can talk about that. Uh, uh-huh. And I want to talk about that because I want people to hear kind of what my mindset was and what I was going through from um, someone who was, you know, a therapist of mine at one of the treatment centers. Um, but talk or share a little bit about uh, yourself with our listeners, kind of so they can get an idea of who you are. So I am uh, Jana Coleman. I am a um, licensed professional counselor and a supervisor in Mississippi. Um, and I'm also a board certified telemental health counselor. So I can do telehealth counseling, which is very important today. Um, I have a lot of cats. Eight we were talking about. <laughs> eight cats. Um, yeah, some of them were from the pandemic and some of them are because um, our local shelter lady knows what a sucker my husband and I are. Um, I have a private practice um, here in Oxford, Mississippi. And um, before that, I worked at a center for um, in a, like a living facility for individuals with intellectual disabilities. Um, after that, I did college and career counseling at Ole Miss. Um, and then I came to Oxford Treatment Center, where we met. And after that, I went into private practice because I really, really wanted to focus on um, the clients and what they specifically need and not not just um, what is dictated by some kind of protocol. Yeah. And um, and that's even that's an issue with a lot of treatment centers that I've seen personally that I've been to. Um, you can't help everyone specifically because um, it's not uh, one-on-one. You have large groups. Everyone has different needs. Um, so talk to, can you talk to us a little bit about that kind of, you know, at a treatment center, rehab center, and as a counselor, you, know, you want to do some things, but you can't because you have um, a certain agenda you have to follow per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually, even if it is like we were talking about earlier, a dual diagnosis facility, you still are to treat the the addiction first. But the problem is that the addiction comes from something else. Um, And I will say it again that, you know, I don't think that marijuana and alcohol are gateway drugs. I think that trauma is a gateway drug. And if you don't recognize and start to treat that and heal that trauma, Or even worse, if you try to say that someone is using trauma to manipulate um, their treatment, then you're not ever going to get to the heart of the issue because you're you're going, you know, you're you're going all around. You're going all around it. Yeah. And that's something for me. Um, The first rehab center I went to, people were saying I was an alcoholic and I was like, I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew I needed to go and get help for something. a lot of incidences happened when I was uh, under the influence of drugs and alcohol, um, uh-huh. but there had been trauma that I had never dealt with. And until I dealt with that trauma, uh, life didn't change really just kept getting worse. Um, and just uh-huh. kept stuffing, you know, those uh, issues down um, uh-huh. and kept trying to cope in ways that I thought would work. And, and there's some people who can, you know, figure it out. And there's others like me who have to have a life changing moment to Mm -hmm. be able to be like, I can't do that anymore. And from that was me, you know, life support Mm -hmm. and facing prison time. It wasn't even Mm -hmm. facing the prison time. That was part of it. But the big thing was waking up off life support. Mm -hmm. And uh, I commend those people who are able to be like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. that, That wasn't me. I had to have a significant consequence to be like the risk and the reward don't you know and 
Uh, but yeah, the dual diagnosis is for me, I was like, I want to go to a dual diagnosis place. And this was after I'd been to, I was in Hopeway in Charlotte and then uh-huh. uh, ended up at Davidson Mental Health uh, due uh-huh. to suicidal ideation. And uh-huh. um, I told them I want, I need a dual diagnosis place. Um, you know, my big thing was anxiety, depression, trauma, and, um, and, she said, well, where do you want to go? I said, well, I want to ride horses because at Hopeway prior, they had mentioned that equine therapy was going to be coming to their program. And I had mm-hmm. ridden horses before, um, you know, at family camps, young life camps. And mm-hmm. um, so at Davidson Mental Health, they sent me down to Etta, Mississippi, which is the, I guess, PHP program of Oxford Treatment Center and was there two weeks. Um, I think I rode the horses once, maybe twice, and well, I wanted to ride them a lot more, but it's hard when you have a couple hundred people at a treatment. Yeah. And, and, and never, that never got to ride the horses. Yeah. And now they bring the horses to the outpatient because of course they do. <laughs> always after I leave a program. Was after, but I mean, that was just like within the last year, probably. I mean, and but equine therapy is amazing. Uh, uh-huh. It's horses can teach you a lot and uh, you can learn a lot, and it's very calming. Uh huh. And they, I think that the way that they use them to model different things is, is you know, about addiction and everything that's or trauma, like even trauma, they can, they, it's very interesting. And Animals in general, I have learned are very healing because I sometimes bring um, one of my eight cats. Her name is Pearl. She has one eye. Um, she was a an immediate foster fail, immediate um, or foster win, as we call her. But I bring her to the office and I have seen her actually when people, you know, are bringing up something that's tough or they're, you know, getting a little teary or something like that. I've seen her jump over into their lap, crawl up and snuggle next to them and like just start purring. And then, you know, they're kind of able to get through that tough moment a little better. And if I ever don't bring a cat, everybody's like, where's the cat today? Like, where's Pearl? We miss Pearl. And she has her own Instagram and it's um, at Pearl's, P-U-R-R-R-L-S of wisdom on Instagram. I mean, Animals are definitely a big part of comfort um, when you're going through difficult times in life. For me, especially, just because um, they don't talk back, they aren't scared of you. They're just going to love on you, and that just brings a sense of calming, or you know, has to me and people that I've seen. It just relaxes you and helps you get through that difficult time um, in that moment. It's a good model of empathy because. A lot of people think empathy is, you know, giving you some words of wisdom or some, you know, you know, saying at least, you know, it wasn't this or that. But empathy is sometimes just sitting with someone, just being there like you don't have to fix it. You don't have to um, like you you just acknowledge like this person needs my presence. Mm -hmm. And And that's what I needed a lot of, too, Mm -hmm. because I like to be around people and. I've kind of always been around people, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, since 2016, but even prior to that. Um, and so now I'm learning how to be okay and be alone with my thoughts and not having to be around people all the time. And it's, it's difficult and causes mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety, but I know that it's not going to be forever. And I'm having, as we were talking earlier, I'm basically a year old, mm-hmm. um, I'm yeah. kind of retraining my brain, my thoughts, my routine, and um, figuring out the new healthy me. Um, uh-huh. And that just doesn't Bu- happen overnight. Building those new neural pathways, as we used to say. If you, you know, do something different, get up and put your pants on left leg first instead of right leg first. Mm-hmm. And like when I'm feeling anxiety now, um, having those people that I can reach out to and and three of those people are people that I never would have reached out to before unless mm-hmm. I was in trouble. My f- mom, dad, and sister. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, getting out and going on a walk, just doing those different things that I used to not do uh, for coping mechanisms. Um, for me, listening to podcasts, sermons, um, 
because the things that you put into your mind and watch and you know can have a you know big impact and outcome on kind of you as a person as well uh, yeah would you agree uh, as a therapist i would and i think there's a bug here but um sorry rabbit hole uh but appropriate um yes and um i was gonna say earlier you know you were mentioning something about intrusive thoughts and what a lot of people don't you know kind of get your mind blown get their mind blown by is that not all of your thoughts are your own um and that you know but if i thought it it was my thought but no sometimes it's something else you know somebody else's voice from your past that is telling you something or something you've seen on tv or something you've heard in a podcast or read in a book and that's floating into your mind and that is not exactly your thought quote unquote um but your reaction to it is your thought you know, if you, you know, that intrusive thought, like you said, comes into your mind and you think, oh, where, why is this popping up? And so, you know, that's not really, that's not really what I want to focus on right now, but I can process it and mull it over. Yeah, that's something. Um, and I might have mentioned this before on the show, but uh, a couple months ago, maybe I was talking with my therapist, Dr. Dodd, uh, Level Ground Christian uh, Center here in Charlotte. and. Um, you know, I was thinking about death a lot and it was like, you know, we were, he was asking me questions, kind of trying to figure out and it wasn't suicide or anything, but it was just, just death kind of like, I might be in a car and just imagine getting in a bad accident, how I would die in that car accident, just things like that. And, um, he was asking questions and we got to it, to the bottom of it. And there's a show the first 48 a murder show documentary kind of thing. And that's the only thing I watched. Whenever I had the TV on, it was that I would fall asleep with it on. And mm-hmm. he was like, you got to turn that off. Like all you're thinking about is death. All you're seeing is death. So no wonder you're having those intrusive thoughts about death. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and when he's, he's like, you got to turn that off. And you know, me, I was like, okay, I'll turn it off, but I'll watch it here and there. But I haven't mm-hmm. turned it on since that day because I don't like thinking about death. It's going to happen. You know, it's not something yeah. I'm scared of, but I want to think about positive thoughts now and enjoy life. And, you know, I was given a second chance at life and want to fulfill that purpose. And mm-hmm. you know, we're all going to have those negative thoughts. Those thoughts come in that aren't ours, as you were saying. And now I'm learning, okay, how do I let how do I check those thoughts? And I guess we had on last week, UJ, you know, kind of fact checking your thoughts and holding mm-hmm. them up. You know, if you are a believer, holding them up towards scripture and um, just mm-hmm. what you know in life. And you know, is this true or is this false? You know, kind of getting to the bottom of those thoughts, you know, and holding mm-hmm. them captive. Are they yours or are they something that, you know, you've seen, heard, watched, whatever? I call it um, putting thoughts on trial. And you, that's what he said. Yes. You put your thoughts on trial and you act as judge and jury and you have to um, determine, is this a fact, not an opinion, but is it a fact? And then you kind of, you, you kind of have your list of four and again, you know, four and against this being the truth or, and and you have to do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you have Mm -hmm. thoughts coming in all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, it tires me out. I have, I'm ADD, ADHD, and I get tired just, you know, okay, trying to fact check all these thoughts. And like, I know this isn't my thought, but why are you popping into my head? And I'm only a year old, essentially, you know, I'm having to retrain my brain. So I'm having thoughts all the time and it gets tiring, but. Mm -hmm. And the thing about ADHD is that you're not just having one thought, you're having that thought and it's brother and it's cousin. And you know, then all of a sudden you're thinking about that thoughts like first grade teacher. And <laughs> and I'm like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And how did I get uh, follow the train backwards? <laughs> yeah. And that's tiring. Mm-hmm. But that's hence why we got the rabbit hole show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go down. This, this, oh, yeah. it, it um, let's talk about um, the kind of my time at uh, Oxford Treatment Center. And I'll just kind of let you take this part away. So 
the thing that I remember the most, we were outside because sometimes we got tired of sitting in group rooms. And that's if we ever took y'all outside, it was because we were so tired of sitting in a room. Like we were too. (laughs) And y'all were too. Um, And so we were out on the multi-purpose court. It was like basketball, pickleball, something like that. And we were playing this. It was um, like if the statement was true for you, you took a step forward. And if it was, you know, and if it was something negative, you took a step backward. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something along those lines, along those lines and of how to like kind of visualize how far along you were in your recovery. And I remember before, like even way through the game, you were like at the fence (laughs) (laughs) and it was myself and other therapists. And I know we were like, now, are you sure this is where you're at? You're like, yep, I'm good. I'm ready to go. And for some reason, it was, I can't remember exactly what happened, but as you were walking away, you muttered under your breath and called, called us bitches. That's what it was. Right at that time. Uh Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that's, yep. Yeah. And I, I can't remember. I think it was me. And I screamed out, what did you say? (laughs) (laughs) You're walking away. And we, I like wanted you to know like that, you know, Hey, I heard you. You're not as slick as you think you are, but you probably wanted us to hear it. I said it Um, loud enough to hear, but. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe yeah. they won't, but I want them to know I'm frustrated and don't want to be here. Yeah. And I think you were um, not my biggest fan for a while. No, I was not. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Did you meet it, people where. Th- and I was not at a good spot. <laughs> nope. And you weren't ready to be pet. You weren't ready to be met yet. But whenever you needed somebody, I think you let me be that person. And I'm, I'm glad that you did. I did. Um, yeah, because, uh, a little bit later on, um, you know, I asked if I could, um, uh, get some more privileges, um, uh-huh. based off time I had been there compared to others. And uh-huh. again, now looking back, everyone's at different spots and you can't, you know, he's been here three weeks. He can go off, you know, I wasn't ready to go off campus and do other things because I wasn't ready to be met and be where I needed to be. and have that acceptance um i won't say that you met i'll take that back i'll say that we had to come a little bit further to meet you oh yes yes <laughs> i made it difficult um because I, I wanted to be home mm-hmm. um because it had already been a long year and you know i made it even a longer year after that but that was part of my story and journey um and but yeah, so asking for more privileges, you know, got denied and that set me off and um, was uh, going, went to my room and barricaded myself in, packing my bags, hit the streets of Oxford uh-huh. and packed everything up. And the two sweet old nurses handed me my medicine, a lot of it. <laughs> and, you know, saying, is this, are you sure this is what you want to do? Is this the right thing to do? And I said, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm not sure if you came out, someone came out and, you know, those two nurses definitely talked me down and maybe okay. they brought me into you. And maybe. I think I want, I want to say there was another client in there, but I can't remember who it would be. I think there might've been another client. Maybe it was probably, it was probably Parker. Yeah. <laughs> Parker. Shout out to you. Um, yeah. And some, you and I, uh, in my mind, you're the last person I wanted to talk to, but you met me where I needed to be met that day and very sympathetic and heard me out. Uh, mm-hmm. You can talk a little bit more about that if you want. Ooh, that's been a minute. I remember like you were in a bad place that day. You were not in a good place. And somehow we got you into, we got you into packs in mm-hmm. Memphis. Yep. And I don't know why you were willing to listen to me that day. <laughs> God. God, yeah. God was like, you need to listen to her because you're not going to survive the streets of Oxford with how your, your life's going right now. It would have been a long walk to town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there wasn't anything around except a funeral home and a couple townhouses. Huh? And, um, and I, I remember whenever they built it behind the funeral home, I was like, what are we, what are we going to do? Like point at it and say, if you don't stop using, that's where you're going to end up. It's the truth though. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, Honestly, yeah, I don't go ahead. I just remember you, I went in your office and I'm sure I even, I think I even cried probably at one point and just broke down. I was just exhausted. Uh, yeah. And you just listened to me and were very compassionate and uh, were able to find me a place to get into very last minute and um, even got a ride from, you know, not from you, but you coordinated a ride. I think they came. Did they come and pick you up? They came and picked me up and drove me mm-hmm. to Memphis from Oxford. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the guy's name, but it, you know, it was, we just talked life for the mm-hmm. hour and a half or two hour, however long the drive was and got to mm-hmm. Memphis nine or 10 that night. And, um, yeah, and started the journey at Memphis and was there a month and a half. And mm-hmm. that, that was a rough journey. Um, I don't even know if PAX is still there. Um, I don't know either. Sometimes like I'll have people come by my office and they'll drop off cards and stuff. And I haven't had packs come by. So, yeah, uh, I think I've heard that they're not there. And uh, I mean, in treatments and this is something maybe you can talk on. And this uh-huh. is my perspective. You know, there's good people who worked at packs, I believe. And uh-huh. know there's good people who work uh-huh. there. But as you were saying earlier, you know, you're dictated on what you can do and teach and stuff. Um, and a lot of it's insurance companies, like it's so insurance driven and we have to show that you're, you know, you're making progress, but you're not making enough, you're not making wide enough progress that you're ready to go home. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beast. Um, we love, we hate insurance. Oh yeah. Um, and I remember one time this is when I was at Hopeway in Charlotte, um, Uh I was on the phone with the insurance company. They were trying to, um, I think, step me down to like mm-hmm. IOP maybe, or maybe from residential to PHP. I can't remember, but step me down. And I was like, I'm suicidal. So if I kill myself, is that going to be on y'all? Like, uh-huh. to, like I said that to the insurance people, like, yeah. I was like, I'm not ready. Like, why are y'all doing this to me? And, you know, um, we're very lucky and fortunate to have, um, close family friend who worked um on that insurance side um the billing and um and she's out of that so she was able to help kind of navigate and use the certain words kind of to um help our family with when dealing with insurance and billing because it costs a lot um and i remember at pax like i forgot how much but the insurance i mean i was getting drug tested a lot there and insurance i don't know if insurance wanted me drug tested all the time but that racked up several thousand dollars and um, was even getting bills for that last year and so insurance can be good but it also can be you know an enemy and just Mm -hmm. something that makes the situation even worse and a lot what a lot of people don't realize is that if i as a provider or you know any of the other providers write something that we think is good enough, you know, that we think is good enough. That's going to get you the, the level of care you need. And sometimes they might disagree. If you as an individual and as a client or a patient call your insurance and say, this is what I, you know, this is not what I need. If you take that step to advocate for yourself, um, that can go a long way. Yeah. And I tried and, um, mm-hmm. um, it didn't, but you know, it I was at a good place, like the center, the treatment center Hopeway here in Charlotte, an amazing place. Um and but you know, I wasn't ready. Um and yeah, my journey was still because they were I was they were trying to release me back to work and that was a, not a safe place for me and brought up a lot of anxiety, trauma that kind of re triggered me into taking steps back. Um uh-huh. and then that's how I, you know, um day before my I think 28th birthday got sent to the psych ward for suicidal ideation and then um got Davidson mental health for 10 days and then met you um and been a blessing uh you know because who without you I don't know where I would be honestly because I was ready to hit the streets (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know whenever I first started okay whenever I was in counseling school um, I always said there are two areas that I never want to work in. One of them is career counseling and one of them is addictions. You've done both. <laughs> and I've done both. And I 
did not love career counseling. I loved working in addictions. Like I loved it. I didn't love the, the bureaucracy side of it, but I loved the clients that I was around every day. I loved my coworkers that, you know, were just a solid team of individuals. Um, but I really just really loved the clients because they are smart. They are creative. They are funny, like the best people that I have ever, you know, come across in my life. Um, and I love to like watch y'all grow and root for you and, and everything. And I forgot where I was going with that. Um, cause yeah, a lot of times we don't have cheerleaders or those advocates, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone's blessed. Like I am to have the family who's stuck by my side and, um, you know, community that kind of rallied behind me. And a lot of that's due to my family. Um, but mm-hmm. that's something I, you know, thank God for every day and don't have the answer of, you know, why was I born into this family and X, Y, and Z was not born into a family like mine and had it even harder than I did and weren't, you know, didn't succeed. You know, they you know, OD'd and died or prison mm-hmm. for life or whatever, you know, that's something that that's a question when I get to heaven, I'm definitely asking. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. if it hadn't been for my family, you know, I would be in prison or dead mm-hmm. without a doubt. Um, yeah. And that's very rewarding as uh, being able to see that and see the success stories. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's hard when you don't have those success stories, you know, clients don't make it, unfortunately. And it happens more um, often than not. It happens a lot more often than, than we would like. Um, the, I kind of get a little wonky at the end of June, like beginning of July, because it's the, um, this, this time of year is the anniversary of the deaths of three amazing, funny, like just full of life in while in recovery, um, young men that, that all passed away just kind of within a month of each other. And I, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, to know how their story ended when they, you know, they were such bright individuals and, and the world was such a wonderful place with them in it. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Um, and you know, there's, like I said, there's some days that I'm like, God, I wish you just would have called me home that day, but he didn't. And I still have a purpose to fulfill down here and I've been given Mm -hmm. that second chance. And so I'm not going to waste it. Um, like I was before. Um, you know, life looks a lot different now, like we were talking about, it's a lot slower, but I'm having to retrain, and pick up new routines and habits. And there's a lot of relationships I'm still rebuilding because of yeah. the damage that I caused. Um, and it's beautiful, but it's, it's you still have struggles even out of mm-hmm. um, active addiction. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just different struggles. I see people every day that have just you know, that struggle, that have things that happen and they've never been, you know, addicted to a substance. Um, some of them have and are doing life as well as they can, but we've all got tough things, especially in the past, what, three years of the pandemic. Like Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, one day we were at work talking about, um, oh man, what do we have a protocol in place for if this does happen? And then it was all of a sudden, oh, it's here and we're completely closing our doors and everyone is going online to telehealth. And what will that even look like? Because when I was in school a decade ago, um, when I was in counseling, um, getting my master's, uh, even as, as close as 10 years ago, we didn't we didn't think that telehealth would ever work. You know, there were talks of like using distance therapy and everybody, the main, you know, the, the general consensus was this is not going to work because you won't be able to see people's facial expressions and their um, body language, but it's worked and it's worked so well. And it's opened so many doors. There are clients that I have that I have never met in, you know, outside of telehealth, but I have, as good of therapeutic relationship with them as I do with people who have been sitting, you know, have came and sat in my office every day for the past three years or not every day, but every week. Some of them would probably like to come every day, but. (laughs) 
there's days where I needed to come every day, you know, and I'm thankful now where, um, you know, I go about twice a month. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm sure Dr. Dodd knows when I was not doing well because he wouldn't see me for a stretch of time. Cause, um, cause of his past, he's able to read through some bullshit. And, you know, I thought I was slick at times and could get away with it, but I could never get away with it for him. And so that deterred me at times from going in. But um, mm -hmm. in a blessing, like I've never had to prepare like prior to him, there's therapists you know, outside of treatment centers that I was like, I thought I had to prepare going in because it was just it was kind of dead. And I felt like, well, with him, I could go in and I'd. He asks a couple questions and then the ball gets rolling and an hour goes by before I even know it. Mm -hmm. and he brings out stuff that I didn't even know were an issue or thought was very minimal. And, you know, he's able to help me work through it. Um, and so speaking of that, um, make, what were you about to say? He can make those connections for you that you yeah. might not be seeing. Um, I will I will mention this. I have a um, very dear. Uh, individual who started seeing me in um, IOP at the treatment center, and we identified that one of their hang up, one of their biggest hangups, is the thought of powerlessness because powerlessness for them equals weakness. Um, and we've done a lot of work on that. And this individual is having um, a surgery this week that is going to put them in a position where they can't lift anything. Mm. They are asking for a lot of help. And whenever we were talking through it, I looked at them and I said, because you don't like to be powerless. And they kind of go, oh, yeah, there's that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, so, for me, <laughs> I I didn't want to be seen as weak. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let anybody push me around. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I had that you know, kind of stone cold killer look and vibe. Mm -hmm. And you got to meet, you, you know, him a little bit. Um, you thought you were real scary. <laughs> you what? You thought you were real scary. And uh, and there's times where I, you know, I did get pretty scary, but then there's, you know, I didn't want to come off too scary, but like I wanted to be known that here's how I'm feeling. Um, and you were so angry, like you were so angry. And I mean, there's trauma, a lot of trauma I never talked about, never dealt with. And due to that, yeah. uh, more trauma happened. Mm -hmm. And the body keeps this have you heard that the body keeps the score yeah the they talked about that book at um the ranch in tennessee mm -hmm. um and that i actually have the book mm -hmm. i do too it's sitting right here <laughs> yeah it's because the body does keep the score um you know our body remembers everything whether mm -hmm. we remember it or not our body has you know there's trigger different triggers um you know our body talks to us um and you uh -huh. can probably talk more about the book than me, but uh -huh. um, it's it's a concept that um, I talk that I bring up a lot and usually at least more than that. But um, trauma is not I mean, it's not stored in memory. It's stored in the body. And so if you walk into a place that somehow reminds you of somewhere that that was not a good place, your body kind of automatically goes into that defensive, you know, fight or flight mode involuntarily because you you sense that this is not safe. Um, and it's kind of when a lot of times if ever somebody says, uh, I've been feeling real anxious or I've been feeling real irritable or angry or depressed the past few weeks, I'll always say, has anything ever happened to you during this time of year? Um, and they might think back on it and they might say, well, yeah, yeah, this was the time of year. That, you know, my so-and-so passed away or this was the time of year that I was in a car accident or that I had this really horrible surgery. And it's kind of the same kind of the same way that I get a little that I feel a little antsy around this time of year because I know it to me. It's, it has been, you know, a time of loss, but your body is remembering, you know, oh, when it was a million degrees outside. This is when those things happened, you know, mm -hmm. or you had this, you know, this terrible cold and it was in, you know, December and it snowed horribly. This is when this bad thing happened. And so if those kind of situations come up again, your body is remembering like, oh, when this happens, you know, a bad thing is going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how my mind and body worked until, uh-huh. um, and it still happens, but I don't have those uh, you know, traumatic triggering uh, memories as much now. Like there's, I mean, I can drive about anywhere in Charlotte and something has happened to me. Um, but I now know kind of who I am and I'm able to um, be comfortable with who I am and accept myself. Whereas before I would drive by, you know, an IHOP or the auto zone or tattoo parlor, the list could go on, but those places identified who I was to me because of the events that happened there uh-huh. and all the hospital visits, you know, I drive by the hospital all the time and I countless times, how many times I had been there and it was, you know, I could never escape. Um, and until I was able to just, you know, be free. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but real quick, I want you to talk about in um, something that I did a little bit at the ranch in Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, EMDR kind of mm-hmm. talk to us. What is EMDR? And, uh, you know, for yes. listeners who don't know anything about it, um, just what is it and kind of how it works? Mm-hmm. So I was I was kind of working into that with the body keeps the, you know with the I body figure keeps that's the, where you were going. We were like we were on the same brain brainwave, um, but EMDR stands for eye movement reprocessing and desensitization. And so what a lot of people don't don't realize um, is that whenever you are working through a trauma or something like that, it's not necessarily about completely forgetting that it happened. It is being able for that event to come up and it not send you into fight or flight mode. It's, you know, to be able to face a trigger without it triggering you. Um, and so with EMDR, um, I'm terrible at explaining it, but I'm, I'm good at doing it. <laughs> so what it is, is it works off the idea of bilateral stimulation, which is a fancy word that just means um, moving both, like doing something to both sides of your body at the same time. And it's why a lot of people are able to process when they go for a walk or they go for a run or they ride a bike or do some type of exercise where they're moving both sides. Um, so we use like a back and forth hand movement. And we stimulate your eyes to move and you follow it with your eyes and you follow that hand movement back and forth. And it's kind of like when you're in REM sleep and your eyes move back and forth, both sides of your brain start um, kind of working together to process what's happening instead of that trigger comes up and your amygdala tells you fight, flight, freeze you know, or your prefrontal cortex is trying to like reason through everything and all the emotions that are coming with it. And if I'm saying any of this wrong, somebody please like write in and do a correction because (laughs) neuroscientist, um, I'm a therapist. Um, and I will admit that I may get the wording or something wrong, but, um, you are basically, you start out, um, by rating your you know, disturbance on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is none and 10 is the highest disturbance possible. And I'll sometimes have people tell me 25, 12, you know, it's, it's higher than 10. And so what we do is with, um, with each pass, um, of, you know, the bilateral movement, And some people do it with a light bar and some people do it. um, I've done it with some people by like tapping their hands or tapping the tops of their knees. It's just, and then some people do it through, um, they have these buzzers that buzz one hand at a time um, and have also like an audio component. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. My preference is either the um, hand movement or tapping. Um, But the, analogy that our trainer gene hawks who's fabulous um gave us was it's like you're on a train and you are watching the scenery go by and every once in a while we're going to stop the train and you can get a longer look at the scenery but then we're going to immediately start back up again we don't give you enough time to um start trying to overanalyze it and what that does that is the 
um, desensitization part of it. You are becoming, it's almost like um, exposure therapy in a way. But the great part of it is you don't have to sit down and like tell your therapist that whole story and relive it and, you know, re-go through it yourself. You're just kind of picturing it, whatever component of it it is. And you can break it down as small as, you know, um, it bothered me how uh, people laughed at me during, you know, the laughter of the people during this one incident. And you focus just on the laughter or you can bring it full out. Um, You can process that whole incident that the laughter was a part of, or you can process um, kind of that plus everything that attaches to it because things connect to each other. And this incident is going to make you think of this incident is going to make you think of this that happened when you were five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So we desensitize. And one of the things we have you do at the beginning is you identify a negative belief. Um, And that is a negative belief about yourself based on that incident. So it might be something, you know, that happened and you think I'm responsible um, or I'm not in control or um, I'm unloved. And those are like your core beliefs that started when you were a kid. And just over time, different incidents attached themselves to that and grew to this huge tree that kind of just wraps its roots around your life. And so we take that um, negative belief based on that incident and we bring it down from a 10 or however high it is. And we continually bring it down to maybe we get it to an eight and that's really good. You know, that's, that's good. You did some work. Sometimes you're going to get it all the way to a zero and that's fantastic. Um, that is the goal, but I always tell people, um, don't say that it's getting lower because you want me to think it's getting lower. I want you to tell me the true number, um, of how you feel it. So after we get that down as low as possible, we go back in and we put a positive belief or more adaptive belief in its place. Um, and that's the reprocessing part. And so we learned that in this incident, um, I'm not responsible or I can take appropriate responsibility or where you felt I'm unloved, you learn I am loved or I'm happy with how I, you know, I'm happy with myself, um, whatever feels more true to you and that you can um, start to believe in a more positive way about that incident. And then whenever that trigger comes up again, you think of the more adaptive belief than the negative one. Did that make any sense at all? I that feel made, like I that made sense for, to me. Um, okay. So, cause I did it a little bit at the ranch in Tennessee, um, uh-huh. but I was only there a month and, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but EMDR is not something you do once or twice. And, you know, the, the, there's a process to it, um, to be yes. able to do it correctly and work uh-huh. through those, that trauma and those beliefs or non-beliefs, um, and take that 10 or down to an eight to a six to a four and hopefully a zero, but it's just not a one time fix it. It's a continuous kind of process. And I'm sure every person, every individual is different. Um, but what's like an average length of, you know, EMDR that you have seen kind of. Well, so the first, but you like, you don't just like jump straight off the boat process. Kind of like orientation. It's kind of an orientation. You have to, uh, we, you know, that there, a, a therapist has to make sure that you have the self-regulation skills that, um, that it's going to be safe to do EMDR and not just like bring up this trauma and then say, okay, well, I'll see you next week. Or, you know, okay, well, you're discharging tomorrow. And I just brought up like this horrible thing that happened to you when you were three. Um, but we start off with um, like giving you some like coping mechanisms. And the first ones that I do are a container, which can take any form that you want it to take. Did you do a container? People do things differently and have different terminology um, depending on where you were trained. I do not remember. He had yeah. a script he read mm-hmm. um, and then um, and we did the um, he did his finger. For uh-huh. me, I would have rather had the vibration, the buzzers, because uh, I'm more hands-on. Mm-hmm. My ADD with the finger <laughs> kind of was um, a struggle. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and but I mean, and we were in a dark room because I I know the setting kind of is mm-hmm. important as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And then going to what you were saying, um, you know, making sure they're not discharging tomorrow or whatever, because mm-hmm. you do get kind of tired and a little dizzy even mm-hmm. post uh, EMDR session. So that's yeah. something you need to be aware of as well. And when you like, and I, if I'm not feeling well that day, like if I have a migraine or I'm just exhausted or something is up, I, I'm not going to do EMDR on a client because we're with a client because they will, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be there. It's exhausting to perform and it's exhausting for the person that's having it done because your brain is doing a whole lot of work. Um, and for, for example, the person, the individual that's having surgery and is in like a lot of pain right now and was, you know, talking about like, um, I'm having some negative thoughts regarding this. Um, they, I said, I am not going to do, I, I, I think it will be in the future beneficial, but I'm not going to, we're not going to do EMDR surrounding these thoughts right now because you are in too much pain. You won't be able to fully, like fully engage with it. Um, but we, I always start with a container, which is something that, um, something that is um, strong enough to hold whatever you put in it comfortable enough inside that whatever you put into that container will stay there. Um, and it has a two-way system so that you can put things in and take parts out as, um, as you need to, to process. Um, so you don't have to take the whole thing out. You can just take a little bit of it. And over the time that I've been doing this, I've seen some really, really creative containers. Um, I know someone whose container is, um, an oyster and they are an artist and we actually like, um, you know, I brought materials and they created um, a visual representation of their container because that was helpful. Um, I know someone who's is a root seller. Mm. And so they put things into the root seller. Um, I like my, that one. Yeah. Because you're, mm-hmm. you know, we have our DNA, but you have your roots essentially and you grow mm-hmm. into that tree kind of or whatever. Yeah. Um, and your roots kind of define you. And mm-hmm. um, I like that one. <laughs> um, one of one of mine, because I have a couple, is um, a hole on the beach. Like there's a beach that I really love. And that beach is actually like my safe place whenever I'm doing, you know, whenever I need a safe place. Um, but you I dig a hole and I put whatever it is or whoever it is in a hole. And I mean, it's a safe hole there they're in the sand and they're warm and they stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I smooth the sand over the top of it and keep walking. And somebody told me that, um, it's really funny that I chose a ho- like digging a hole in some, in, in a material because I have so many cats. I was like, oh, there yeah. we go with the cats again. Should have done a little like that would have been great for some. <laughs> um, I didn't make a container. Um, mm-hmm. and I only did, maybe five sessions if that so i would say not enough um but uh he had me come up with a safe place um Mm -hmm. and uh, mine i think was the beach house Um, Mm -hmm. that that other one i always do is a safe place so that and the purpose of those things is to help you self-regulate so that if something really tough comes up you know say we're, you know, we're focusing on a particular incident and we don't want to um, branch out into the whole, you know, negative, that whole negative belief system. We're just trying to keep it focused on that one incident, but you become flooded um, during the session by other thoughts and other, you know, things that come in. We can pause and we can put something in the container or we can, um, you can go to your, you know, mentally to your safe place. Um, and then, you know, you are not just completely a, a wreck by the end of the session. Um, and it's also important to have a follow-up, um, a follow-up visit, like after each EMDR session, because we can talk through and a lot of times your brain is still processing for a day or so after and like other things will come up for you that you'll you know other realizations you'll have and it's good to like always check in on that the my favorite 
part about EMDR other than the fact that you don't have to like re-traumatize yourself by telling the whole story um, is that it is kind of portable. So if you've worked on one thing, you can go to a completely different therapist to do EMDR and just pick up where you left off. Mm -hmm. Because you're not having to tell the full story. You're rating it on the scale and it's basically moving to a different part of your brain to where it's not Mm -hmm. traumatic. It's still a memory, but it's not a traumatic memory. Correct. I I have a client and he always tells me, he's like, you can put me down as the poster child for EMDR. I will tell anybody that it works. Like every, every time he comes in, he's like, hadn't had any more dreams. His was, yes, it was, they were PTSD dreams. dreams. I've thought about it, but I haven't dreamed about it. Yep. That means it worked. It was successful. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and so you're, um, you do telehealth and, you know, you have your own practice now, mm-hmm. um, briefly before we, um, wrap up, tell us about that. And are you taking on any new clients for any listeners that might, you know, be looking for a therapist? Um, and yeah, just discuss that just a little bit for any listeners that might be exploring a new therapist and telehealth for me, telehealth was something I never, you know wanted to do because it's i need the face-to-face the hands-on so i've been able to find that but telehealth is very important uh and it can reach a lot more people um than just your office can yes so telehealth um one of the biggest problems that we have right now is that in the um counseling profession there is not like universal licensure so you're licensed by state Um, so I can do therapy in Mississippi, um, because that's where I'm licensed, but, um, therapy takes place technically where the client is located. So if you're in North Carolina, I'm not licensed in North Carolina. You know, there is thankfully a, um, it's called the, um, interstate compact that is, that is kind of in the works right now and Mississippi's part of it several i think at least nine other states are part of it but that will um allow us to reach individuals in in more places because there are a lot of you know, therapists are overrun right now like there there was some um some therapists that have like six three to six month waiting lists um but having the ability to see a therapist possibly in another state um, is will be helpful. It will be very helpful. Um, like I have clients that live in other parts of Mississippi mm-hmm. um, and that maybe because of their like they are from a small town and they, you know, it's better, you know, they would rather see someone that is that they don't know. And that doesn't know mm-hmm. the people that um, you had another part to that question. And I, um, about, it was about your practice and seeing if people, you know, if you were taking on new clients, so anyone who's listening in Mississippi or whatnot, um, and I do yeah, have availability. And right now I have a, um, fabulous intern for the summer. She's, um, she's amazing. Her name is Casey Ray Young. Hey, Casey Ray. And, hey, uh, hey. she, uh, she, is taking new clients right now as well and is very, you know, she's, she's spinning up her hours. So that is um, an important thing for her um, to be able to see some folks. I do have some availability. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, I would love to talk to anybody that needs, I accept um, Blue Cross United and um, I'm in network with the VA care in the community. Um, that's big. The VA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's the other? Oh, and I do self-pay. So cool. Well, I, I will, uh, you know, recommend you cause you helped me. So anyone that is in the area and hopefully soon out of state, um, yeah. you know, with that interstate, um, law you were talking about, um, cause yeah, COVID, um, I think brought a lot more people to therapy. Uh, mm-hmm not saying that was uh i think it allowed people to be like okay i need therapy even though they might have needed it before 
but a big pandemic causes a lot of, um, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety and uh, brings a lot of things to the surface that weren't there originally. Um, yeah. So. A lot of adjustment disorders whenever everyone had to like go home and like just sit at home pretty mm-hmm. much all day home. It was a very hard adjustment. Yeah, it was. Um, so before we wrap up, um, is there any advice or something that you kind of live by or someone once told you that has helped you? Um, but what advice would you give to our listeners? So two of my, and I thought about this earlier, two of my favorite um, pieces of advice that were given to me. And I'm pretty sure that it was by the same person. And I will shout out Martin East Fitzpatrick. I don't know if you remember Martin East. Um, Very, very brilliant. Um, love her and funny lover. Um, she told me whenever I first started working, um, in addictions, number one, meet people where they're at. And I think that's a good thing for us just in, in general, just to meet people where they're at. Um, and sometimes you have to go a little, you have to come a little bit further, um, than other people. Um, you know, sometimes they're not, they're not able to come and come and meet you halfway. You've got to go a little bit further. Um, and with that being said, she also told me, um, don't work harder than the patient. Um, because I was so compassionate, like I was so compassionate. I wanted people to do so well. And I would get very frustrated at the beginning. Like, why don't they want to do this work? You know, but you got to let, you got to let other people take responsibility. You've got to let other people, um, step up and not, um, not do all the work for them. Because if you do all the work, then they won't learn how to do it themselves. And you're also more. you're also going to exhaust yourself mm-hmm. um, trying to people please, which I see a lot, or, you know, try to change someone else's behavior. The only thing that we can control is what we do and think and say. Correct. And uh, it took me a lot to learn that, you know, several uh-huh. years, but that's 100 percent correct. You can only control yourself. Um, you can maybe impact others, but you can't control what they do say, um, and you can't, they have to accept, you know, and be ready to put in the work to make the change. Um, And hopefully for people listening and others out there, you know, they're ready to make that change if need be, uh, before it's too late, like me, um, you know, and have to have that, that big rock bottom. I had several mm-hmm. little rock bottoms that could have been the rock bottoms, but they weren't yeah. big enough to, for me to be like, okay, I need to make a change. It took, mm-hmm. um, last year for that to happen, but, um, that's, every, that's what it took and everyone's different. Everyone's different and everyone's rock bottom is at a, is, you know, at a different level for somebody. It could just be, you know, that they opened a work email and started sobbing because their boss called them out. That might be it for other people. It might be, you know, facing prison or waking up off life support. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then others, they don't wake up and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the harsh reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't have to be you, you know, if you can make yeah. that change and are ready to make that change, that doesn't have to be you, but mm-hmm. the reality is it's not going to be everybody. Sadly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for taking time to come on and talk and just reconnect. Uh, and, Cause you're someone who's very special and, you know, a big part of my journey. Um, and you. never thought, uh, you know, when I last saw you, I'd be talking to you again. Um, so it's been a treat yeah. and an honor. So thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor for me. I'm, 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 I'm so touched. Like it's, it's really, it really means a lot. Well, it means a lot that you would want to come on and talk and, uh, especially after, you know, our last encounter, I guess our last encounter was, uh, you know, a little different as you were helping me kind of, and I was breaking down to you, but, uh, overall, uh, might not have been the best first impression, but, uh, you met me where, you know, I needed to be met and, uh, that meant a lot and helped me a lot. And I've never forgotten that. So thank you that, uh, you know, to be a small part of someone's journey is, you know, it's more than enough. Mm hmm. Because, you know, to me, I'm a success story. You know, mm-hmm. I was at rock bottom. I was struggling, you know, active out on the streets, you know, doing whatever. 
um, controlling my life, how I wanted and dictating how I wanted it to. And that didn't get me very far. And, um, but I've always remembered, you know, just in your office that day and, uh, you taking the time to help me and kind of meet me where I was. And, um, yeah, so thank you. Um, well, thank you all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, again, uh, subscribe and follow on your platform, Spotify, Apple podcasts, and then, uh, on Instagram, the rabbit hole show, all underscores. If you have any comments, questions, uh, want to talk more about EMDR, um, or get connected, um, with, uh, Jana, uh, email the rabbit hole show 21 at gmail.com. But again, thank you all for tuning in and we'll talk to y'all next week. Thanks.